you guys can be seated. Alan, come here. I'm going to make something awkward for you. Hey, uh, Dylan, can we turn those lights on, please, buddy? Come here. Come on. I know. I didn't tell you I was going to do this. This is my fault. So um, we found out that Jeremy wasn't going to be here, and Alan um, and Bailey have been leading worship uh, with us on Wednesday nights of the youth. And so last night, uh, last night I called Alan, or I texted Alan. I called, no, I came over. I came over to the house. You're busy playing Xbox. Um, and, and I said, hey, dude, uh, I'm going to throw something on you. Um, I need you to play Cajon, which is that box drum. That's what that's called, a Cajon. I need you to play Cajon tomorrow morning. And, he's, and his eyes kind of lit up a little bit. He's like, okay, all right. Yeah, I'd love to. That's awesome. And I remember the first time I uh, played on a, on a Sunday morning, and it was uh, djembe and cajon. It was on percussion as well. Uh, and so, I don't know. For me, it's just I've seen this kid when he was a baby, and he's making me tear up right now. He's a jerk. Uh, but it's so cool uh, that, that God has gifted him, and he wants to use those gifts. And so I don't usually say, hey, let's clap for anybody up here because we're not here for that. We're here to worship God. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you right now uh, to clap for this guy uh, because he did awesome. Get out of here. Usually I get like 15 minutes into my lesson uh, before I start tearing up, so I apologize for that. Um, okay. All right. So, so Brandon said, hey, we want to do a, a standalone lesson today. Uh, and, and one of the things that, because I work with teenagers, uh, one of the things I've seen this summer, really more than I've seen any other summer, you always see this with teenagers and you always see it with adults, but for whatever reason, um, I've seen it a lot this summer, and that's the power of doubt. The power of doubt. And the, and the power of doubt can do some crazy things in our lives. What I, where I've seen it in the lives of teenagers is the power of doubt will make them completely, and, and adults we do this too, but it will make them completely move to the side the way God equipped them, wired them, built them, and what they will replace it with is what the world tells them. And so I'm fearful for our teens. I'm, feel for, I'm fearful for our kids. Because a lot, of the, a lot of the stuff that does this in their lives and in ours are things that we like. We actually gravitate toward. We actually find ourselves pulling toward. Not understanding all along that there's some rewiring that's happening we didn't see coming. Right? As much as I love... The cell phone you and I both know, nine out of ten times we see a teenager, they've got a screen in their face, right? So this is something that, and, and whatever it is they're seeing, that's the way they're looking at the world. And we, I, I keep saying there as if teenagers deal with this, and we don't. We're at the front of this line as well. But in this, this power of doubt comes in. Power of doubt. And I've seen this in many different, uh, really, areas of life. I, 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 remember, <laughs> I remember being um, a young married guy. Uh, and and my my wife and, and, and wives in the room will probably, I don't know, husbands, I could be setting you up. Sorry about it. Um, but wives, wives would say, like my wife would come in, she'd say, hey, can you please take the trash out? And I should say that. So sweet. So nice. And I'd say, yeah, I'll take it out. At the time, I didn't understand because she didn't use the word now. Maybe she wanted to sound sweet, uh, but but hey, can you take the trash out? And in my mind, when I said yes, I'm like, 
yeah, I'll do that. And then I move on to something else. I go do, right, because guys, we have a list. That's how we operate. We have a list of things to do. I'm not, I'm not going to put that in front of the other thing I got to do, right? And so I would find myself going to do it, and I'd find out later that this drove her crazy, right? That she is so frustrated by that, right? And there, in fact, right before, uh, before church started, we were actually having, the praise band was having practice, and I, Matthew and Jake were up here, and I actually asked the question, hey, when your wife asks you to do something, like, for example, take the trash out, um, what does that mean to you? Well, I'll take it out whenever I get to it, right? And there's like a manly voice that counts, whenever I get to it, right? And I'm like, yeah, that's kind of what I'm thinking. But in, in my wife's mind, there was a, no, I, like, I really want it done now, but I don't want to just take the trash out, right? I don't, you know, that's where my wife's coming from. And so, like, for me, that, there was a struggle with that misinterpretation, the misunderstanding. I don't know. We've been married for X amount of years. For, for like 10 years, there was like, there's a struggle. And maybe there'd be arguments about it, but we never really, I never really knew exactly what was driving this, right? Because in my wife's mind, and maybe I asked her, can you remember a time this ever happened? And she's like, what? no, you always ask me that. I can't answer that question right now. But, but like there was never a time that I just didn't do it. Never a time that I didn't do it, but in her mind, hey, this needs, this needs to happen right now, right? And it was, it's really been re- somewhat recently that, it, that we've kind of understood that when she says, hey, will you please do this, and I, and I do it, that I'm going to do it pretty much whenever my time comes to, to play, right? And, and like, this is the thing that causes friction, right? Because the trash is just overflowing. I'm like, no, yeah, I'll get to it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. I said I would. I'm going to, okay? She's like, yeah, I just want to make sure you remember, right? So sweet. Like 1130 at night. I'm like, okay, time to take trash out right now. Right? There's like two other bags that have started because I haven't done this yet, right? But I do it. I get it done. I get it done. That's the argument us guys use. I got it done. What are we talking about right now? And that becomes a little bit of the struggle, right? At some point, I had to learn what she was asking. And at some point, she had to learn that when I said, yes, I'll do it, I'm going to get it done. See, but what, what she dealt with in this moment was, like, complete doubt that I was even going to do this. And underbly, understandably so, right? I don't stand up here saying, no, I've, I'm an expert in the world of being a husband. Uh, when I say I'll do something, I'll do it 100% of the time. Like, but she had to understand, though, that I, I'm going to get it done. I won't drop the ball on this, right? And that's a struggle. That's a struggle for us to be able to say, I think we do the exact same thing with God. I think we do. I think we say, okay, here's what I need. I desperately need this. And I would imagine when you pray, if you're anything like me, we don't say, hey, God, will you please do this now? Will you please do this now? It's probably not the way we pray, but it's probably the way we want it to happen. There's been a a million times that I've said to myself, man, I feel like life would be less stressful if I just made a little bit more money. I've said that, and, I, and it's circular. I've said that several times. It's such, a, it's such a dumb philosophy because I will find a way to spend X amount of money. If I get a raise, I'll find a way to spend it. We're really good at that, right? Amazon's the worst. We'll find a way to spend it. And in my mind, and in my mind, as I pray, as I ask for God for things, for help in my life, there's this agenda to it. There's this agenda to it. And that's the way a lot of my prayer life has been. I still struggle with that. I pray more for my agenda than I do His will. 
Why? Because I'm a little scared of his will. And I would imagine some of us can understand this a little bit. And I just want to be vulnerable with you there because I think we find ourselves in these situations. I think God gives us stories in Scripture time and time again so that we can understand we're not the only one dealing with this. There's a, there's a story I think all of us have heard, um, but I want to make sure that we understand uh, what this looks like in the story of Moses and the way he was called. Okay? And so Moses is called, and before Moses gets called, and I know this is a story you've heard a, a million different times, but I want you to look at it through the lens of how you and I doubt God. And my hope is that something my hope is that something clicks in you this morning like, okay, here's an area. Here's an area where I'm in the driver's seat and I refer to God for direction whenever I feel like I desperately need him. But until then, I'm going to keep driving. So let's pray and let's see, let's see where this goes. Father, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for the chance that we get to worship. I thank you for the rain. I thank you for even in a world that seems really chaotic and bursting at the seams, that we're still here right now pursuing you and I pray that that carries over to our week that that we still continue to pursue you God I pray for clarity this morning I pray for understanding I pray for your Holy Spirit to guide this discussion this lesson to Scott to guide our thoughts in this we love you we do this in your son's beautiful name amen all right so just to make sure we set the table Moses had to be given up when he was a baby, right? Potiphar's daughter found him, uh, and all of a sudden, now, now he's being raised uh, in a little different format than, uh, than being a Hebrew's son, if you will. Uh, and so he's in a place where he's heard of God, but he doesn't necessarily see God the same way that his Hebrew brothers and sisters do. He's, it's something he's still learning, okay, which I think we can all relate to. He knew. He knew that, that Hebrews were his people. He knew he was drawn to them. One of the things I love about what, what Merge does is we don't, one of the things we don't do, and when Brandon said this, it, it was a beautiful thing to me, and I've always thought it's a beautiful thing. At, at Merge, we don't just say, hey, we're going to provide opportunities for you to serve the needy. We don't do that. Why? Because I believe every single one of you are drawn to help a specific people. Like, I drew the straw to work with teenagers, and it's the most frustrating part of my day, but I absolutely love it. Okay, I love it. I love it. Some of you are drawn in this place to help the homeless. Like, you're drawn to them. Some of you are drawn to, to help single mothers, single fathers. You're drawn in that way. And I don't want the church to come in and say, well, here's how we're going to serve. No, no, no. I want you to be able to say, God, here's where you're pulling me. Church, can you help me? That's, that's my heart, that's my hope, is that you would fall in love with the very people that God's called you to serve. Moses knew the Hebrews were his people. That's who he was called to serve. He didn't know it yet, how that was going to look, but his heart, his heart was hurting for the Hebrew people. In fact, it, it shows in, uh, in Exodus chapter 2. One day when Moses had grown up, uh, he went out to his people look, and he looked on their burdens, right, because they're under captivity. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that. He's looking around. He's about to make a move. And seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. 
And he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? And the Hebrew answered, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? See, Moses thought this was a secret. This wasn't a secret. And so Moses from this fled. Surely he thought Pharaoh's going to find out. And he fled to the land of Midian. Right? And I could just put yourself in his boat for a second, in his shoes. My guess is this is a moment where he feels like everything's falling apart on him. Some of you can resonate. Some of us, I would imagine all of us at some point in life could resonate with, yeah, I've had seasons where everything seems to crumble underneath me. Like if it can go wrong, it's going to go wrong. And this is where Moses is at. He has to flee. He has to leave. And it's at this moment, gosh, there's so many, le- there are things that I, as I was looking at my notes, there's so many lessons that come out of this. Because it's at this moment that God says, okay, now I'm ready to use you. One of the things I hope we all understand in this place, God's not waiting for you to become a better Christian to use you. He's not waiting for you to look the part of a Christ follower and then say, now we're ready. No, he uses Moses in his most broken place. And he appears to him in the form of a burning bush. <laughs> a burning bush. Angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire. We're in Exodus 3 now, 2 through 6. In a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses says to himself, I'll turn aside to see this great sight on why this bush does not burn. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him. So now not only is the bush on fire, uh, it talks. God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses, I would imagine, freaks out. It's like, here I am. I'm here. I'm here. Then he said, do not come near. Moses says, or I'm sorry, God says, do not come near. Take your sandals off of your feet. For the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Moses just killed the guy. Fearful of his life that Pharaoh is going to hunt him down and kill him. I know you and I have bad days. I get that. But Moses just killed the guy and is now being hunted. And God appears to him in such a beautiful way. So then God says, I've seen, I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. And have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering. If you need to, if you need to do that with your life right now, like sometimes we wonder, does God know our suffering? God knows your suffering. He knows what you're fighting right now. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your strengths. He knows the days where you just want to get back in bed and go to sleep. He knows them. Like these aren't surprises to him. He knows the afflictions of the Hebrew people. 
And now he says this, his charge, what he's doing, why he appears to Moses in the form of a burning bush. I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up and out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. I would imagine at this point, like God's saying these things, hey, I've seen it. I've seen the struggle they're going through. And guess what? I'm going to save them. I would imagine Moses is like, yes, all right, let's do this. This is awesome. Because these are my people and they're being beaten. Yes, let's save them. I'm with you. Let's go. He's fired up. And then God says this. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And I'd imagine real quick Moses sank. Wait, no. If you had started with that, I would have been more ready for what was going to happen. God says all these beautiful things. Hey, we're going to do this. I'm going to save these people. And we're going to take them to a place that is unlike any other place they've ever seen before. This is the promised land. That's what we're going to deliver them to. These are my people. Moses, yes, sweet, let's do this. I'm in. Like, what are you going to do? You're going to like just launch a fire? Like, I would imagine Moses has all these awesome ideas. How you, are you just going to like destroy Egypt and like save all the? How are you going to do this? I'm, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh. Like, you're going to stand face to face with Pharaoh and have a conversation with him. And Moses' whole world melts. This is where I want to take us right now, this moment. To be able to hear that your people will be freed. I think of a place like Afghanistan right now. I think of a place like several places in the Middle East. I think of places like Haiti. I think of places that are just broken. And I think about what if God came to me and said, hey, here's what we're going to do. We're about to free these people, and it's going to be the most beautiful thing they or you have ever seen. All right, all right, I'm all ears. Let's do this. I'm going I'm to provide for them a land that's going to be so beautiful. It's going to be perfect for them. Okay, what else are you going to do? I'm going to free them from the hand of Pharaoh. All right, I like this. I'm going to free them from the hand of what Afghanistan is, of darkness that is over there. I'm going to free them. I'm in. Okay, good. I need you to go. I need you to go. But I, but I have three daughters and a wife who wants me to take out the trash. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? That's the moment. It's right here where I want to take us. Because it's in this moment where Moses' response is, all of us, all of us in the, this can, can connect with. So he has his first doubt, which has been up there for a very long time, so you guys know it. And, and Moses says this. And Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children out of Israel, I'm sorry, children of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I? Like, wait, wait a second. 
God, I, I think you got the wrong number. You called the wrong guy. I don't think it's me. No, I just killed a guy. I'm running right now. You want to send me to the very guy I'm running from? I No, wrong number. Next. And doubt number one enters in, which I, I can imagine. I can understand it. The beautiful thing about this is God's response to this doubt. Make sure, make sure we're looking at our stories as we, as we hear this response. He said, but I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Like, right there. God responds with, hey, I know. I know you're scared. I know. You got three daughters. I know you got to take the trash out. You got a job. You're busy. I know that. But I'm with you. Like, I will walk with you. I'm not just sending you saying, good luck, hey, I'm rooting for you. No, God is saying, I'll be with you. As we free these people out of slavery, I will be with you. So Moses hears that, and he understands. He knows he's talking to God right now. Hey, touche, good answer. Uh, I have another doubt. Doubt number two. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name, what shall I say to them? Like, hey, who, who am I going to say sent me? Like, because he's thinking. He's thinking of a man-to-man, face-to-face match with Pharaoh. What am I going to say to Pharaoh when I step up and say, hey, I'm here to pick up uh, several hundred people. We've had them for about 400 years now. I need them back. Like, what am I going to say? Like, because Pharaoh's not going to say, oh, yeah, I see that right here. Your order will be delivered in three to five days. That's not going to happen. So Moses is like, what am I going to say? Who, who am I going to say sent me? And God responds. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, you say this. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, has appeared to me saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now please let us go. Let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and I will strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. So again, Moses says, touche. And then decides to respond. I have to get something real quick. I have to do this. He decides to respond. 
We just sang a song. I'll stand with arms high and my heart abandoned in awe of the one who gave it all. I'll stand with my soul, Lord, to you surrendered. All I am is yours. We sing this. It is so hard to live it. It is so hard to live it. Moses is standing here. And, and God is thro throwing a response, the truth, at him. And he continues down the list of doubt. Doubt number three. How will the people believe that you have sent me? Like, okay, I get it. You want me to tell them that you're God of, of Jacob and all these people and you'll always be remembered. But, like, is that going to do it? Or are they just going to say, oh, okay. How? Doubt number three. Bring that upside down. How? God's promise is this. He does things. He turns Moses' staff into a serpent. He turns Moses' hand leprous and then heals it. He instructs Moses to turn the Nile into blood. Why do we keep minimizing God? Why do we keep minimizing Him? We keep saying, God, I don't know if you can do this one. But He keeps showing us time after time. This is why we have this. He keeps showing us time after time. Guys, like death didn't defeat me. I parted the whole Red Sea. Paralytics have been paralytic. Their whole life they've been walking. They, they leave walking and celebrating. What more do you need? So Moses asked the question. He obviously needs more. How? We, we, as we get into these seasons, obviously need more. But God has promises that we just have to hear. So how? Yeah, I'll, I'll show you. Staff's going to turn into a snake. I'm going to turn your hand leprous, which I'm sure freaks him out a little bit. But guess what? I'm going to heal it. All these things we're going to do, you're going to be able to see the mightiness of God that you haven't seen before. You've heard of, but you haven't seen of. And then we get to the fourth doubt. And now we're starting to get to where he's really at. Now we're really starting to get where he's at. And I go back to the very beginning of this with my struggle with teens. Which in reality is a struggle for all of us. God has equipped you, created you in the image. In his image, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Wired and equipped to do things you could never imagine. But sometimes we let what we think are our limitations stop us. And Moses' fourth doubt, I'm not eloquent. I'm slow of what's supposed to say, speech. I can't, listen, I can't do it. I can't talk. Like my guess is, my guess, and this is a bold guess and I apologize if I offend you. My guess is if I was sick today, I was like, hey, I need you to teach today. There'd be some of you in the room like, okay, I got that. And there'd be other like, no, I'm not, no, I can't stand in front of everybody and talk. What are you, they're all going to be staring at me. No, I can't do that. No, I'm not a public speaker. Can't do it. Mm -mm. And that's, a lot of us would do that. I understand. I get it. I understand it. That's the limitation, though, that we place on ourselves. So where else are we doing this in our lives? Where else are you and I doing this in our lives where we hit this line in the sand that says, I can't pass this one? I want to so badly, but I can't. Here's why. Because I'm flawed. I'm flawed. 
not eloquent. I can't do this. You want me to go talk not only to Pharaoh, which is crazy in itself, but you also want me to talk to all the Israelites, a big group. I don't even have a microphone, right? Moses is like, how am I going to do this? I can't speak to them. So, so very easily, God responds back with this. Hey, who has made man's mouth? I would imagine God ch- chuckled a little bit after he said it. Hey, who, who's made man's mouth? We keep confining God to our rules. Who has made man's mouth? And again, for the fourth time, Moses says, touche. And moves on to the very last plea. Doubt number five. He says this. Oh, my Lord, will you just please send someone else? He gets to the end of this conversation. He's like, okay, okay, I've had four doubts. You're, you have four, I have zero. I get it. Can you just... Can I just go, can you just send someone else, please? I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to. That's where it's at. I don't want to. I have all these reasons. And you've had really great responses, by the way, but I don't want to do this. So God gives comfort where comfort is needed. I get it. God's just like, yeah, I understand. You, you're fearful. There's doubt all in you right now. Because you think you're going to do this on your own. So God says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send Aaron with you. Aaron will speak to the people for you. I just need you to go. And I need you to do exactly what I say. We are all going to stand before a gate one day. And we're not going to be able to use the excuse, I didn't know. And listen, a lot of churches stay away from sharing that message right there because people don't like it. It doesn't make them feel good. Gosh, I don't want to tell the story, but I'm going to. Okay, I'm doing this. If you get mad at me, please come talk to me afterwards. I'm so sorry. Um, I was talking to a, a guy a couple weeks ago, and I had informed him. He didn't know. I had informed him I haven't got the vaccination yet. I use the word yet. I don't plan on getting it. I haven't got the vaccination yet. His face lit up, and he started really being careful about his words, and he said, oh, my gosh, Chris. Listen, he goes, I, I don't want to say the wrong thing. I just want to plead with you to reconsider and get the vaccination. Now, he was coming out of the place out of love, and I can, I can understand that. I was thankful for it. But as he, you could tell he was desperate. Please reconsider. And I looked at him, I was like, man, this is what it should look like. <laughs> 
as we tell people about Jesus. Right here. And he's a Christian, he's a believer, he's a Christ follower as well. I mean, this is what it should look like. There should be something in us that is erupting all the time for people who do not know Jesus. Like this right here, exactly what you just said, the energy, the, the emotion, the passion for you was a, you've got to reconsider, you've got to get this vaccination. And again, I understand he's coming from a place of love. He, the guy cares about me. But man, that's what it should look like as we're telling people about Jesus. Like you should reconsider. If you haven't met him yet, man, I'd love to be able to introduce you. But the power of doubt in all of us restricts us. It restricts us so many times. And like Moses, we're standing at the line saying, I don't know if I could do that. And I just want to encourage you, if there's an area of your life where that's you, then it's an area where we have to be able to say, I'll stand. With my arms held high, my heart abandoned in all of the one who gave it all, I'll stand right here with my soul surrendered to you, Father. All I am is yours. And that all of your flaws, all of your shortcomings, all the things that you don't like about yourself when you see in a mirror, all the things that the world has told you that are lies mean nothing. Because God has built you. God has equipped you. God has wired you. God has saved you. So what's next? I hope as a church, I hope every heart in here is able to say, Father, all I am is yours. So let's go. And when he looks at you and says, okay, good, I'm going to need you to go see Pharaoh. Okay, you're with me, right? Just want to make sure that doubt's still probably going to be there a little bit. I can understand that. You're with me, right? Yeah, I'm with you. All right, let's go. Let's pray. Father, I believe the story of Moses is meant to save your sons and your daughters. That this would be the beginning of Israel. This decision, this, this mission to go pull these Hebrews out of captivity. who've been there for several hundred years, who have actually probably got acclimated to life as a slave. But you had different things in mind. And it wasn't according to their time when they were freed, it was according to your time. And you used Moses at a time where he was broken, fearful, lost, running. You didn't wait till he got to, to his destination and then said, okay, God, I'm going to follow you more. You didn't wait for that. You used him where he was. Father, I believe you use us right now where we are. I pray for any heart who's just trying to look the part of a Christian. 
It's so much more than that. A relationship with you is so much more than that. I pray that we could see it, be vulnerable enough to acknowledge it, and to surrender it. I thank you that the story of Moses is something that will teach my life, my daughter's life, my granddaughter's or grandson's lives in the future. That doubt is a tool of the enemy. There's so much of it around. So I pray for your strength, God. I pray for your healing hands over this and areas of our lives where we doubt. in the name of your son Jesus we'd have the boldness to rebuke doubt Father we love you in your son's beautiful and holy name and all God's people said amen you guys are dismissed hope you have an awesome rest of your Sunday hey your chairs some of you are awesome because you get up and you move chairs they're going to stay right where they're at okay so you don't have to pick up chairs today that's awesome all right you guys have a uh, blessed rest of your Sunday